Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beer. It has been a while since you've heard me do that. Well, not that long. <laughs> but yes, this is my return to the world of podcasting. <laughs> because this is my first episode of 2021, took a little break after my final episode of 2020, and now I am back. So happy new year. Well, today we're going to be talking about my top 10 favorite first time watches of 2020. It is exactly like it sounds like movies that I watched for the first time last year. This is my top 10 list. I did this last year as well. I did a top 10 favorite first time watches of 2019. For the record, I looked over my film calendar and I watched exactly 600 films in the year 2020. That does not include any rewatches. And not only am I going to talk about my top 10 favorite films from last year, I will also, like the last time I did this, provide you with a honorable mentions list. However, before we move on, I just want to mention something that's been personally bugging me for a whole year. It probably doesn't uh, <laughs> need to be mentioned because no one's ever brought it up to me, but it it's something that I feel a little guilty about. So I'm going to bring it up last year in my top 10 favorite first time watches of 2019 list. My number one choice was Popeye. And in that description, in that very episode, I actually admit I had seen it before because I saw Popeye as a kid. What I should have mentioned was because I had not seen it since I was a kid, everything felt fresh to me. It felt like I'd seen it for the first time. Now, you could say technically it still doesn't qualify, but thankfully, uh, <laughs> I'm bound by no exact set of rules, and all of you seem to be quite forgiving. So, <laughs> there. I got it off my chest. So, uh, before we move on to my top 10 first-time watches of 2020, I would like to mention which films didn't make the list. This is my honorable mentions list in no particular order. Here we go. And if, you know, if you, if you trust me, if you are in any way inspired to uh, look up these films on the internet to find out what they're about, I hope this... I hope just by hearing that I give these films a huge thumbs up, huge seal of approval, it may influence you to seek them out. Here we go. Honorable mentions list. Wax Mask. Parasite. For the record, there are two films called Parasite. I've seen them both. <laughs> I am mentioning the Academy Award film, or Academy Award winning film Parasite. Schlock, The Other Hell, Lady Street Fighter, Tigers Are Not Afraid, Rambo, Last Blood, 
Under the Silver Lake. The Bad Batch. Dr. Sleep. The 1974 version of Gone in 60 Seconds. The Ninth Configuration. Crawl. Angel. Cockfighter. An Evening with Beverly Luff Lynn. The Boys Next Door. The Loveless. Josie and the Pussycats. I'm Thinking of Ending Things. The Babysitter, Killer Queen. And White Line Fever. All right. I know I was going to say that after this, I was going to go to my top 10 list, but I need to acknowledge that last year in that very episode, that was the episode where I had mentioned I was never going to watch the film Paul Blart and Mall Cop because I was singing the praises of a film called Observe and Report in my top 10. And while I described the plot of that film, I'd mentioned that you shouldn't mistake this film for the other Mall Cop film, Paul Blart, which I was aware of, but I never wanted to see. Fast forward to a year later, a lot of hounding, a lot of ribbing, a lot of teasing, a lot of jokes made by my Twitter friend, Justin Her at Heisenher. And and with his help, I, I actually actually did see the film. Uh, so never say never. <laughs> or at least I try to never. I mean, I am guilty of it, is what I'm admitting. I, I said I would never watch it, and I watched it. And I had a good time. So in a weird sort of way, I'll include Paul Blart Mall, Mall Cop in my honor honorable mentions list just because it had such a memorable presence in my film life in 2020 all right let's move on to the top 10 list shall we uh rankings may change you know that the second you put out a top 10 list you you regret leaving something off or you know maybe as time goes on, as you revisit movies that are on the list later, you may start to feel even more positive about certain titles. And in your mind, you might want to push those films higher up on the list. So I'm sure you don't, <laughs> don't need to hear me say this, but I'll say it. This list reflects my gut instinct as of this recording of how I would rank these films. They in no way mean that um, any film on the list is meant to be considered better than another one. It's just a personal reflection uh, of, you know, of how I reacted to these films at the time. And also, these are kind of like based on memories. It's not like I watched these movies recently. Some of these movies I watched at the beginning of last year. So I'm really just trying to trust my memory of how I reacted to these films. But I mean, I trust my, I trust myself and I'm just going to go with it. It's not like these are in any way bad films, even if my memories are poor. I think there's, I stick behind the list and they still carry my seal of approval. And what these films all have in common is that I highly recommend all of them. I will say this. I looked over my list and I noticed that something that's different about this th list than last year's list is that there's 
less movies on this list from the 70s and 80s as there were last year. Those who know me know that movies from the 70s and 80s are really, really my jam. And um, not as many, even though there's a bunch that were on the honorable mentions list. Still my jam. <laughs> Here we go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over each film and lightly, very lightly, go over their plot and my feelings about them. This is just for the sake of, of uh, giving you a list. <laughs> so here we go. At number 10, coming in from the year 2003, is Peter Pan. This is a live action version of Peter Pan that was not made by Disney. Uh, of all the movies on this list, this is the one that I'm going to spend the least amount of time talking about. What can I say? You familiar with Peter Pan? Have you seen the Disney version? Just imagine that, but as a movie. And that's what I like about it, because it was very well done. I love the world of Peter Pan. I love that fantasy world. It's very trippy to me. And the idea of adapting it into seeing those things in real life, although I appreciate seeing them animated, seeing them done with real people in like a real world type looking setting and done well, is very impressive and it's also interesting that you know you spend your whole life with the disney version which is 77 minutes long and to see it stretched out into 113 minutes it's also kind of neat to see how you take a film that you're used to the story being told within this certain amount of time and how you can expand it which is very similar to when you see movies that are adapted into television shows uh it, you always go how could you make a show out of that how could you make it longer and you realize that there is sometimes more story to tell so if you trust me or if you like the peter pan animated film and you haven't seen this version it's definitely worth seeking out here we go let's move on shall we i honestly feel like this might be the most controversial addition to the list uh at number nine is joker from the year 2019 so first of all, I just want to say I'm not a comic book guy, so I'm not precious about comics or characters from comics. And I don't, I don't mean to sound rude, <clears throat> but I'm not precious about movies being faithful to, to the comics. Um, I, I respect where you're coming from, if that bothers you, because I've heard the complaints about this film. Uh, I'm just admitting why I'm not handcuffed to that complaint because I, I don't know and, and and not to be mean but I don't care all I I'm, I'm selfish in that way I, I guess I watch a movie and if I like it I like it so another thing I notice is that there's a lot of people on social media who seem to dictate which movies you are allowed to like or not like <laughs> and this is one of those movies and I don't want to go into why people seem to feel like you shouldn't like Joker but um once again i'm selfish I, I feel like no one is the boss of me there's no human being who can influence my thoughts to stray from where they want to go uh i just i watch things if i want to watch them and i don't prevent myself from disliking them if or liking them you know i just i'm honest now a lot of people like to point out that this film feels heavily influenced by the Martin Scorsese films, Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. I'm a big Marty Scorsese films, uh, excuse me, a Marty Scorsese fan. I love those movies. And I do recognize all the 
uh, obvious nods to those films in this film. My only, once again, my only opinion about films, you know, quote unquote, ripping off other films is if the movie's good, I don't care. I do not care. It's like those people who won't shut up about Reservoir Dogs being a ripoff of City on Fire. Here's the thing. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if the movie's good. If I like it, I forgive it. And if it's bad, then it's just bad. It's not bad because it's a ripoff. It's just bad. So, and Todd Phillips, the director, before, you know, Joker, he makes all these like lowbrow comedies, but he does them in such a cinematic style that I always had hoped to see movies from this director done with that same style, but not as a comedy. And Joker fulfills that for me. And I know he did a film called War Dogs. I've never seen it. I'd like to see it, but uh, I loved Joaquin uh, Phoenix's performance and I feel no guilt adding Joker onto the list at number nine. At number eight from the year 2020 is the film Palm Springs. This is a comedy starring Andy Samberg, who is stuck in a time loop, much like the film Groundhog's Day, where he attends a wedding in Palm Springs every day. Unlike that film, Andy's character is not the only person stuck in this time loop. Like Groundhog's Day, this film is funny and at times very sad, but they're very different films. They're not, it's not like watching the same movie, uh, you know, twice. Uh, and maybe a big part of that, I mean, not just like when you see it, you can clearly see how they're very different films, especially aesthetically. Groundhog's Day is a very cold, wintry film. Palm Springs is a very hot, sunshiny film. And of course, Sandberg's comedy is very different from uh, Bill Murray's style of comedy. This movie was made for Hulu. And it would be awesome to get a physical release of this. I would love to own this on Blu-ray. Coming in at number eight is Palm Springs. At number seven from the year 2017 is Brawl in Cell Block 99. This is a prison film starring Vince Vaughn. And Vince Vaughn is in prison while his wife is on the outside pregnant. The prison he's in is a medium security prison. His wife is kidnapped and Vince's character Bradley is visited in prison by an associate of a crime boss who explains that their plan, and this is gross, <laughs> is to surgically remove the limbs of his unborn child by an abortionist, unless he assassinates an inmate in a maximum security prison. So it's not even a guy who's in the prison that he's in. He's in the worst prison, stuck in the worst part of the prison that's reserved for the most violent people. And what he has to do to get there is to keep getting himself upgraded to worse prison. So he keeps attacking guards and other prisoners and it just keeps getting him sent to worse and worse prisons. And every time he gets there, he has to keep doing more violent acts to get to the very final stage of this film where he has to kill this guy who is in the worst part of the worst prison. So the 
journey he takes is so violent and what Vince Vaughn brings to the role is not only the physical intimidation because he's a big guy let's face it he's very believable as this violent guy and but he's Vince Vaughn you know he's a good actor I like him and and he also brings like a sadness to the role because you know that this is not going to go well for him but he's like sacrificing his life for the sake of his unborn child pretty intense film at number six from the year 2019 is satanic panic this is a comedy horror film it's about a pizza delivery girl who is stiffed on her tip when delivering pizza to a mansion she desperately needs gas money so she enters the mansion to demand her tip and guess what she walks into a coven who planned to perform a satanic ritual and from there the shenanigans ensue and this is a really great blend between comedy and horror i'm not going to give any more stuff away and that's one of the things that all these brief descriptions will have in common with this episode is i'm not going to do too much spoiling because i really do want you to seek out these films if you haven't seen them i don't want to ruin all the neat surprises so just trust me please (laughs) i feel like if you listen to this podcast there must be some level of trust that i have already um earned from you here we go at number five dude bro massacre three for the record there is no dude bro massacre parts one or part two that is part of the joke it's from the year 2015 this is a comedy horror film that leans more on the comedy side than the horror side um i personally would just call this a comedy that satirizes slasher films but I don't think it would appeal to people that didn't like slasher films. The plot is simply, it's about a guy who joins a fraternity when his brother is murdered by a killer named Motherface. And he joins it to see if he can learn what happened. And what I really like about this movie is not only, not only are the jokes really funny and they're lowbrow, I'll admit, but the pacing is amazing. Like just there's constantly being, you know, set up land set up land most of the jokes land think of the pacing of something like top secret or airplane or naked gun but not exactly in the same style as them it's it's definitely their own style but um that that quickly paced so there you go (laughs) we are zipping along now aren't we i feel like this is going to be a much shorter episode than usual but that's not a bad thing it's it's my first uh, episode back this year. Give me a break. <laughs> uh, number four from the year 1974 is the year California is the film <laughs> California Split. You see, I got to get used to talking again and being in front of the microphone and not tripping over my words. So from the year 1974 is California Split. This is a Robert Altman film. This is the second year in a row that a Robert Altman film made this list because Popeye is a Robert Altman film. And that one was number one last year. Okay. <laughs> this is about two friends who have an addiction to gambling. They're small time gamblers, but the film leads to the possibility of the greatest winnings of these two men's lives. It would be impossible for me to properly explain the exact reason I love this film without spoiling it because a lot of it has to do with the ending. So I will say 
this is the best gambling film I've ever seen in my life, next to possibly um, The Cincinnati Kid. It's a 70s film, so, you know, 70s films feel like no other decade. And one of the things I really appreciate about 70s films is they feel like real life. Um, all the other decades, movies, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, this is just a thing. Sure, there are exceptions, but for the most part, movies in general feel like movies. They feel like a fantasy world, that things can happen only in the movies, as were movies in the 70s feel like real life. And so I feel like the same story would feel different if you told it now. It's it's amazing. It's excellently directed, excellently performed. Elliot Gould's a star. If you can see it, please do. Coming in at number three from the year 1972 is Bonnie's Kids. The Bonnie in the title is dead before the movie ever begins. Her kids are two girls, one a teenager, one is slightly older. I don't really remember if she's also a teenager or just like a uh, young adult. And they live with their stepdad. Now, I know this sounds like a spoiler, but in the first act of the film, the very beginning, like this sets up the story, they murder their stepfather when he tries to rape the younger girl. They flee the scene of the crime and the movie follows them into their journey into their new life. This is an exploitation film. It's really wild. I never could have predicted what the rest of the film would be about. Like if you were to go like, what do you think is going to happen to these girls? I mean, I'm creative enough to come up with some kind of plot, but I never would have predicted what they actually do. And I don't want to spoil it for you. If you like, like 70s exploitation films and you trust me, seek it out and made number three on my list. So it's got to be good, right? Heck yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of exploitation films, coming in at number two from the year 1982 is Turkey Shoot. This is an Australian dystopian action exploitation film by genre legend Brian Trenchard Smith. I hope that me name means something to you because I have gone through some lengths to try to explain why he is special in previous episodes of this podcast. In the near future, social deviants are sent to prison camps for behavior modification. Once a year, five prisoners are selected to participate in an opportunity for freedom. You, you being the prisoner, are the prey being hunted by a group of hunters that will kill you if, they ca if you're captured. And if you survive the 12-hour hunt, you'll win your freedom. This film is exciting, violent, and even a little weird. It was released in America as Escape 2000, but don't see that version. That version is censored. See the original version titled Turkey Shoot. Last year, I did an episode on the film Dead End Drive-In, which is also by Brian Trenchard Smith, and it has a very similar plot. Uh, and there's a scene in, in, in Dead End Drive-In where they're showing movies in the drive-in and they're watching Turkey Shoot. So yeah, in a weird way, this is the second time this has come up on the show. Which leads to the final film on my list, number one. From the year 2013, Only God Forgives. Ryan Gosling plays Julian, an American living in Thailand along with his brother. They run a boxing club that's actually a front for drug dealing. Julian's brother Billy rapes and kills an underage prostitute who is then killed in revenge by that girl's father, who found Billy, 
with the help of a police lieutenant, who then cuts the hands off the girls, who uh, cuts off the hands of the girl's father for allowing her to become a prostitute in the first place. The reason I tripped over my words was because uh, it, was a, it was a run-on sentence, obviously. <laughs> and um, yeah, <laughs> Julian and Billy's mom finds out about Billy's death and she comes to Thailand to demand that Julian avenge her brother's death. I don't want to go into too much more, but I will say this. This film made me question who is the actual hero in this movie and who is the actual villain? This film is directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. It's a very violent movie that is very beautifully filmed. And I can't believe people are not constantly singing the praises of this film. Uh, my good friend, Mike Bland, heavily encouraged me to seek it out. And I'm very, very grateful that to him that I did. Because not only did I love it, it made my number one on my list for my favorite first time watches of the year 2020 and there you go thank you for spending time with your old haunted pal next week we'll talk movies again that's right folks i'm back and i'm happy to be here aloha